You ever think about what it's going to be like up there? One old preacher said that uh, they get up there and all the accusations and charges will be brought against us. And you think about it. <clears throat> you know, we've done enough things in our lifetime to go to hell a, a thousand times over. And uh, I don't know how it's going to play out, but one preacher said that after the charges are read against all of us, that, uh, you know, the Lord probably look at us and say, is this true? And you'll, you'll be honest then. <laughs> you'll say, yeah, it's true. And then supposedly Jesus Christ will stand up and say, but Father, I paid for it, paid in full. And that song says, by the print of the nails in his hands. Take your Bible, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We left off the other day, uh, a week ago, on verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. <clears throat> and Paul is telling uh, you and I here in verse 9 how the Thessalonians, uh, he's telling us how they uh, were saved, and not only how they were saved, but... Uh, how they turned to serve the true and the living God. And here in verse 9, you see that, uh, that thing about true repentance. And uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. Before we start, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you again, Father, for allowing us, Lord, to be here. And Father, I pray that you'd once again open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Father, thank you, Lord, for a perfect Bible. Father, I pray that you'd continue to develop us, Lord, and give us the right desires for thy word. And Lord, help us to take heed according to thy word. And Lord, I pray that you just, uh, Lord, if it's possible, to come back before the night's over. Father, uh, I've had enough of this old world, and I sure long. I'm homesick, Lord. As the old song says, I'm kind of homesick for a country, a heavenly country. So, Father, would you please come get us out of here? And Father, if that's not what you'd have tonight, Lord, I pray that you'd keep us faithful. Because that's what you asked of us in Jesus' name. Amen. I actually got thinking about that while we were singing. <clears throat> I'm thankful that the Lord, uh, he, uh, he said in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, uh, that it's required of us to be faithful. That's it. And I'm sure glad it's not required to be successful. I'm sure glad it's not required to be loaded or rich. Amen. Because uh, I'd, I'd be in a world of hurt. And I'm glad the only thing he asks us to do is be faithful. No amount of measured success anywhere. But First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, For they themselves, talking about the Thessalonians, show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living uh, and true God. And what we see here in uh, the Thessalonians' testimony is true repentance. And if you remember what repentance was, and we covered that important information, you should know that, that repentance, first of all, is a change of mind. Repentance is a change of mind, and that change of mind produces a change of heart, okay? And then after it produces a change of heart, it produces a change of direction, and a change of direction, of course, is a change of way. And repentance is, matter of fact, necessary for salvation, I'll give you three verses again just to refresh your memory. Acts chapter 17, if you would. Now, you may not even have known if you repented, and that's fine. 
but you've got to change your mind if you're going to come to Jesus Christ and be saved. You've got to change your mind about God's Son. You've got to change your mind about sin. And there's a change of mind. A 17 verse 30. A 17 verse 30. The Bible says, uh, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now, the time that Paul's preaching, the New Testament here, but now God commendeth all men everywhere to repent. Now look a couple chapters over, Acts chapter 20. Let's put this thing to bed here until we bring it up again. 20 verse, uh, that's the best way I can say it, 20 verse 21. Now notice what Paul's preaching. 20 verse 21, look at verse 20. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. That's a good preacher, isn't it? A good preacher wants everything that is profitable to be given to the people, not just his hobby horse, not just what he thinks he knows a lot about. He wants, he wants you to be profitable in all things. He says, uh, uh, I was profitable to you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God, there it is, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you one more. If I were you, I'd put these, I'd uh, write these next to the, the verses or something, write a note on the thing so you can tie these three together. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. Repentance is necessary for salvation. Now, what is not required is that you say somewhere in a sinner's prayer, I repent of my sins. All right, now that's not required. Uh, but repent, you've got to change your mind about God's Son and about where you're headed, about where you need to be going. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse 10. All right, the Bible says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Uh, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So there's two types of sorrow there. And one sorry is uh, you're sorry for what you did, right? And the other sorrow, that's sor sorrow for who you are. And being sorry for who you are, that's real repentance. Amen. When you go to God and uh, you uh, have a besetting sin or you lost it during the week or you went off the rails in your Christian life, you say, Lord, I'm sorry it's me and I'm a blasphemer. You're sorry for who you are. Uh, not, Lord, it's me again, Lord, and you know what I did. It's, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm, I've got a terrible mouth. Lord, I'm, a, I'm, a, you know, I'm an idolater. I put all this before you. I put all this before my family, so forth and so on. That's uh, godly sorrow, work with repentance. Unto salva uh, to salvation. So that's repentance. Repentance is necessary for salvation. And, uh, and so Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1 9, ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So those are the three steps. Last time through it. Number one, they turn to God. You see it? They turn to God. That's their conversion. That's their salvation. They turn from idols. Amen. When you get saved, you ought to turn away from whatever sinful practices that you're made aware of. And finally, three, then they turn to what? Serve the true and living God. You see that? That's a beautiful picture of true repentance. And as a Christian, that's what you should do. Amen? Not only get saved, you repent, and you turn from your sinful practices, but you turn to serve the true and living God. Now look at verse 10. The Bible says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, that's a great verse. Talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And for you guys, talk about the rapture of the church. And that just gives you a, a, some assurance about what you and I are really waiting for. 
And that seems to be the, the misnomer in uh, Christianity today. What are you waiting for, right? What are you waiting on? What are you waiting for? And you know what you're not waiting on? You're not waiting on the tribulation. Anybody that teaches that a Christian has gone through the tribulation is teaching or they're adhering to false doctrine. Amen? I notice again in verse 10, we're waiting for his son from heaven. We're not waiting for the tribulation period. Why? It says, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come, delivered us. Now, now we uh, left off last week on this piece right here, and there's uh, different wraths in the Bible, and I want to give them to you. I'll take your Bible, go to uh, Revelation chapter 6. Uh, and here, uh, I'll give you a couple of these. You have uh, the wrath of the Lamb. Wrath of the Lamb. And you're going to find that in Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. Revelation 6, 16. He said he's delivered us from the wrath to come. Future. Future, you see that? Wrath to come. All right, Revelation chapter 6, look at verse 16. Now the Bible said, And said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So this takes place during the end of the tribulation, uh, verse uh, 6, verse 16. And these men that are in the tribulation, they want to be delivered from what? The wrath of the Lamb. That's tribulation. You see that? That's during the tribulation. And they're fearful of the wrath of the Lamb. Let's look at the second one. The second one has to do with the wrath of Satan. Scripture with Scripture. Revelation chapter 12, look at verse 12. Revelation 12, verse 12. What happens with people thinking you're going to go through the church is usually someone, uh, you know, they're unfamiliar with how to rightly divide the word of truth, and uh, they end up sticking the church in the tribulation, which is wrong. Now look at 12.12. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them, woe to the heavens of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Now back up to, uh, yeah, back up to verse 10. This is during the tribulation. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down. So what you need to understand about Satan right now is he resides in the second heaven. And I believe most of you probably know all this. But there's, we went over the five casting downs of Satan, and originally he was in the third heaven, and the Lord put him down uh, between uh, the second heaven here, and that second heaven is outer space. But you see here in Revelation chapter, uh, that's the second heaven there, and Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, he goes uh, <clears throat> from the second heaven uh, down to the earth. So he goes down to the earth during the tribulation. You want to know why things are bad during the tribulation? Because the devil himself comes down to the earth. See, right now, 
he's not physically on the earth. He's represented by devils. He's represented by unclean spirits. He's represented by his minions. You say, well, how in the world does he have such close communication with us all the time? I think he operates the same way uh, with the same technology. Everyone's got one of them little devices. And every time you open that device, he has access to you. Right there he is. He's uh, put the program in there that you watch and all that stuff and so forth. And that's why you got to be careful with all the windows you leave open, right? Whether Bill Gates made it or not. Amen? You got to be careful the windows that are open, where you go with that thing. Why? Because you're dealing with what? The prince and power of the air, the devil's domain. He comes down uh, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 to the earth. And that's during the tribulation. And he's full of wrath. And that wrath, you know who he's mad at? He's mad at the Jewish people. And he chases them, and the Jews are out in the uh, during the tribulation. They're out in the wilderness, and he tries to kill them all, right? And what happens? Well, the, the Bible gives you the account in Job. Uh, that dragon, the great dragon, he swallows up a river, and he tries to drown the nation of Israel out. Well, what happens? Well, the ground opens up and drinks all the water up. And the Lord feeds his people in the wilderness there. You see that? But that wrath of Satan, all that just to say this, this wrath of Satan, that has to do with the tribulation. You see, if you're here today and you're saved, you're not appointed under wrath. You're not appointed under wrath. That's the wrath of Satan. Here's a third one. How about Revelation 14? Uh, you've got the wrath of God. Wrath of God, Revelation chapter 14, verse 10. I'm kind of squeaky tonight. Revelation chapter 14, look at verse 10. Again, in the account during the tribulation, the Bible says, uh, go up to verse 8, verse 8. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city. That's the, that's the fall and destruction of Rome. Let me ask you that. Has that happened yet? Or that's the Vatican City is what that is. And as future, that's during the tribulation, all right? Now look at this. Because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his head, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. All through the tribulation. Who gets the wrath of God? Those that take the mark of the beast. Well, I hear they got a mark and they got a chip. Take all the chips you want, man. Because that mark of the beast ain't going to surface until you and I are out of here. You ever notice, uh, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. You ever notice when the people uh, all around the world, they start seeing little quippets of things that kind of resemble Bible prophecy, they automatically stick the church in the tribulation? Oh, we're in the great tribulation. No, we're not. You're on drugs is what you are, man. But all that wrath takes place during the tribute. Let me give you just one out of the, even out of the Old Testament. Go to Psalm chapter 79. Psalm chapter 79. Americans are really bad at that thing. Uh, that's because we as Americans, uh, I'm, and I'm not saying we've all had, were born with a silver spoon in our mouth, but compared to a third world country, I suppose we were. You know what I mean? Uh, they say if you have a dollar in a bank account or a savings account, you're in the top 75% of the richest people in the world. <laughs> you say, well, that's all I got. Well, there you go. <laughs> Psalm chapter 79. Now look at verse 5. Psalm 79, 5 and 6. I'm just showing you that the wrath uh, is talking about stuff during the tribulation. It hasn't happened yet. And God told you 
through the Apostle Paul that he's delivered you, the child of God, from the wrath that is to come. 75, um, 79, 5 and 6. All right. How long, Lord, wilt thou be angry forever? Uh, uh, a Bible Baptist bookstore in Pensacola has got a, a shirt my wife bought me when we first got married. It has a picture uh, that preacher drew of the Lord, uh, his rendition of what Jehovah God looks like, Jesus Christ, sitting on a white stallion. Just looks like he's ready to kill you, you know. And underneath it says, he's coming back, and boy, is he mad. <laughs> on the back it should say, no more Mr. Nice Guy, you know. But uh, he says, help us, O God, of our salvation, verse uh, 9. For the glory of thy name, and deliver us, and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Here, verse 10, wherefore should the heathen say, is that what I want? No, I want 5 and 6. That's a good verse, but it ain't going to fit. Uh, verse 6, pour out thy wrath upon the what? Heathen that have not known thee. Does that sound like, say, born-again Christians going through the tribulation? Of course, I'm talk about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And uh, we'll hit on that just a little bit. Let's talk about the day of the Lord when Jesus Christ comes back, puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, and when he touches down, that, that mountain splits in two. One goes to the east, one goes to the west, creates that great valley in the middle, and that's where they have the Battle of Armageddon. By the way, you and I are out of here by then. Why? He had delivered us from the wrath to come. Yeah, Sayonara, man. <laughs> We're going to leave this world like Superman and come back like the Lone Ranger. <laughs> Without Tonto, amen? <laughs> amen. So we've been delivered from the wrath, and this chapter ends, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, with the second coming and being delivered from the tribulation. And I think if anything else, you, I, I, you want to know what puts you in a good mood is remembering that you're not going through the tribulation. Amen? Um, and here's what happens. Like I was saying, I was getting ahead of myself. Many people, when things get tough, you notice when... Uh, when uh, President Obama came in, everyone thought he was the Antichrist. And before that, President Clinton was in. They've, you know, I think some of these Democratic presidents have done more for the cause of Christianity <laughs> than any Republican ever did because it gets people praying for the second coming of Jesus Christ. You say, well, but gun sales. Okay, I get it all that. You know, but I'll tell you what, some of these presidents get in there and they act like a bunch of uh, buffoons that they are. It makes people Christians pray. Why? They want to go home. They're homesick. And you need to remember that uh, when things get rough and tough, and I say rough and tough in America is nothing compared to some of these other countries, is what happens is all of a sudden you hear on the television, you hear on the radio, you'll hear on Flakebook and YouTube and all these podcasts, all of a sudden how we're just magically going through the tribulation. Let me tell you what we ain't. The Bible says, look at 1 Thessalonians, two places in this short little epistle, the one we're looking at now, 110, that's the first place you want to look because we're right there. It says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now hit chapter 5, 5 and verse 9. He says it again, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And all that wrath, charted here on the the board for you, that takes place during the tribulation, during the tribulation. You and I are not going to be going through that tribulation period. Amen. What a blessing. If you're saved, he's delivered you from that wrath. Now remember, verse 10 says we're waiting for what? His son. 
That's where we're, we're waiting for him to come back and meet us in the air. Uh, we're not waiting for the Antichrist. I'm telling you, this stuff flares up literally like once. It's got to be every election year. It's got to be. <laughs> no matter who's in office, all of a sudden, well, you know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are, you know, and that next, for the longest time, wasn't it the blood moons, right? Oh, the blood moons. The blood moons, what does that mean? I don't know. Who cares? You know, Blue moon, blood moon, no moon, full moon, <laughs> right? I'm not waiting on a blood moon. Isn't that ridiculous? I mean, some of these TBN guys had these great prophecies about the next blood moon. What happened? Nothing. Nothing. How in the world do they even have followers? And they're so full of uh, uh, baloney, it's ridiculous. But we're not waiting for the Antichrist to be revealed, and uh, we're not waiting for the devil to show up. Amen. I went for the devil. I don't want the devil showing up in my house anyways. Amen. You can show up in yours. Uh, but we're not waiting for blood moons. Uh, I heard about 10 years back, uh, they found a pure line red heifer. Wagyu beef, cook it up, man. <laughs> right? What is that? Oh, that has to do with the Jews and the tribulation. It doesn't have to do with me. Uh, the, all, you know, and, and there's a fellow out there, I think, was it Jimmy DeYoung or DeHood or De whatever, or whatever his name is, and He's like, and the mounts of the temple are ready to build any day now. I don't care about the rebuilding of the temple. It's going to get rebuilt during the temple, uh, during the tribulation, but I'm waiting for a son. Amen? And I'm not waiting for the mark of the beast or some set of chips. We're waiting for Jesus Christ to come call us out in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 17. 417, you've got to keep this thing simple. 416 first, here's the catching away. If you want the biblical term, it's the great catching away. We call it the rapture of the church. Nothing wrong with calling it that. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. And uh, if you're living for Jesus Christ, here's the thing, Christian. If you're doing right and you're living for the Lord, uh, the world, the flesh, the devil, and carnal Christians are going to give you a fit. They're going to give you a fit. And our only hope, I'm just telling you straight, our only hope is getting out of here. Whatever it is you're dealing with, can I just tell you? Cheer up. It's going to get worse. <laughs> right? That's the right attitude. Cheer up. and going to get worse. Aren't you glad you got the Holy Spirit? If you got a good family, thank God for it. Amen. But cheer up, it's going to get worse. And our only hope is getting out of here because it ain't going to get no better. And uh, let me tell you what, you're living right, and all of a sudden these things, they start giving you a fit, and you learn to recognize them, don't you? You learn to recognize them as attacks, and uh, you'll start looking for the rapture to take place. Why? You want to go home. You want to go home, and Paul was constantly putting these Thessalonian Christians, brand new converts, in front of the fact that, look, we're going home. We're going home. Wait for his son. And uh, back over there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse 9, that we just looked at here, <clears throat> it says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And that thing, if you look at it real quickly, the context of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, is talking about the day of the Lord back up in verse 2. That's how you know it's future. 
That's now that's how you know that tribulation is in the future. So the context is the day of the Lord in verse 2. You've got a mention of the tribulation in verse 3 and 4 of First Thessalonians chapter 5. And then you have a mention of the rapture in verse 8. So your hope of being taken out of here, that's what will keep you straight. John calls it a purifying hope. And the patience of hope, that's First Thessalonians chapter 1. That's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church for us. So it'll keep you straight. You know what uh, our hope of getting taken out? It'll help keep you from getting depressed. Let me tell you what, depression is real in the Christian life. And some people, they have a tendency not to be depressed, and that's a blessing. But let me tell you what, depression is real. And let me, you know what will help you with that? Looking forward to his return. It'll keep you straight, keep your mind straight. And uh, keep you from getting depressed and protect your mind, but... Your hope is in Jesus Christ and absolutely nothing else. And that is so when the rapture takes place, you can blast on out of here. You can get away from this old world. But here's the thing. If you're not living for Jesus Christ as you should, and if you're living for yourself, and if you're not excited about the Lord coming back, uh, can I just say it's because you're not going through anything and your testimony isn't what it ought to be? And that's what Paul's getting across. He's, he's, if you look at the entire chapter, he's saying this. You guys are getting hammered because you're living right. You're getting hammered because you're living right. You're doing it right. And it made them look for the rapture of the church. I'll tell you what, you start going through some trials and tribulations as a child of God, it will start make you, it'll, it'll make you want to go home is what I'm trying to say. And the more you go through and the more trouble, not talking about our own trouble because we're stupid and won't listen and won't mind the Lord, but actually troubles and trials and persecutions and afflictions, it'll make you homesick. It really will. And uh, the Thessalonians, they wanted to go home. And these people thought that uh, actually if you get to chapter 4 eventually, they thought that they were even in the tribulation or had missed the rapture. And Paul has to go back through there and comfort them and give them hope for that thing. And I think you understand this, but you and I, we can't judge the rest of the world uh, by, what the America, by what the United States is going through. You can't. Uh, America is the exception. America is not the rule, not the rule at all. And remember that when you go through these passages, these people, these Thessalonians, they were really getting hammered for their faith and their belief and testimony in Jesus Christ. So likewise, when you start doing things that please the Lord, and you start living right, and you start standing for the Lord where you can, and you start uh, visiting people, and you start knocking on doors or passing out some tracts and trying to serve the Lord instead of yourself, I'm just going to encourage you, you're going to get hammered. <laughs> it's going to come. You're going to get hammered. You say, now, preacher, why don't you tell us the, the opposite? Because I want to be honest with you. I could sell you a sales pitch. I've been a salesman for 20 years, many, many moons ago. But this isn't a sales pitch. Listen, if you do what God wants you to, you're going to get hammered for it. But then the uh, fruit of getting hammered for doing right is it makes you want to go home. And all of a sudden you realize there ain't no place like home, whether Dorothy said it or not, amen. <laughs> but you're going to get hammered for it. And when you get hammered, you're going to start looking up, amen. And your relationship with the Lord is really going to take off because all of a sudden now you're suffering trials, you're suffering persecution for living right. And uh, if you think about the people that are not excited about the Lord coming back, and they're out there. Christianity's full of people just not excited at all. Like, oh, the Lord's coming back. Like, 
okay, let's watch Gunsmoke. You know, they're not even excited about it. Why is that? Well, they're not looking up. They're not excited about it. And it's uh, usually because they're just too friendly with the world. And that is such a thing. You get too friendly with the world. Your neighbors like you. The world likes you. And you're just so friendly with everybody. And everybody just likes them so much. So he leaves chapter 1 with the second coming of Jesus Christ in front of those Thessalonian Christians who are getting hammered for their faith. And there may come a day, Christian, where we really get hammered in this country for our faith. But I'll tell you right now, we've had prosperity in this country. And prosperity, as we said before, it only gives church apostasy. When persecution comes, that's when the church begins to grow. That's when the church begins to increase. And that's where the church begins to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Verse 1. As we move ahead here, the Bible says in verse 1, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. So, it was not in vain. When Paul came there, it had results. Amen? And uh, it had such a great effect that it affected everyone around uh, those particular people. And they really had an impact on others. Look at verse 2. But even after that, we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated. As you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God, look at it now, with much contention. Now, you need to hang on to that thing because what you learn, I'm not trying to get ahead of myself, but in a New Testament ministry, uh, that is what preaching produces. True Bible preaching, you say it doesn't produce the glory of God, rarely, (laughs) but true Bible preaching, it produces contention. You need to remember that. If a preacher is doing it right, it's going to produce contention. And, uh, but Paul says here that he receives opposition and argument and dissension about his preaching everywhere he goes. Isn't that something? Everywhere Paul went, he was getting in trouble for what he preached. Ain't that something? Now, you look at churches today around you, and I'm not trying to get you to you know, gaze off into outer space and compare, everyone, compare ourselves among ourselves. I'm not talking about that. But you look at a lot of churches and they'll give you the idea that unless your church is prospering and hustling and bustling and really getting out there and shaking it and moving it and moving forward and building programs and ministries and all that, uh, that that it's really not a church. Let me tell you what, you do it the way God said to, not only will you get hammered, but people will hate the preaching. Now, that's not an excuse for a preacher not to study. That's not an excuse for a preacher to be belligerent and be ignorant and not try to better himself and to develop his own ability, so forth and so on, but true preaching comes with much contention. You need to understand that. Uh, You may know the story over in Acts 16. Remember over there in Acts 16, uh, Paul and Silas, he meets that woman filled with an evil spirit of divination, right? And Paul, what does he do? He rebukes her. He rebukes the spirit, and people turn against Paul and Silas. I mean, this gal's following around, and she's a She's full of a, a, a spirit, an evil spirit, and she's going around, and she's actually speaking the truth. And she, uh, Just turn there. I'll, I'll read it with you here. Acts chapter 16. I'm just telling you right now, even evil spirits will speak the truth sometimes. Uh, just because someone's a heretic doesn't mean that everything they say is not truth. A lot of times these... These evil spirits and these false prophets and false teachers, they give you just enough truth to keep you uh, glued to the television set. Acts 16, uh, it says here, uh, 
1616, And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us. Now I want you to notice that. What happens when they pray? Oh, the devil runs and hides. No, he doesn't. He sends along one of his imps. You see that? Now you need to remember that the next time you go to prayer and strange things happen. <laughs> Every time you pray is not, you know, the you know, the Shekinah glory of God drops down and in heaven came down and glory filled my sometimes you just have a rotten day. Why? The devil don't want you praying. <laughs> uh, he went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. All right. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Was she wrong? She's telling the truth. But look at this. And this did she many days, but Paul being grieved. What's wrong, Paul? Are you prejudiced against women or something? No, I, <laughs> I say that because that's probably what the brethren would say, right? But you know, I was grieved because he knew that she was full of the devil. And he didn't want no devil saying nothing. So he says, uh, he's turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. He, you see that? That's, a, that's an evil spirit. And uh, Paul didn't let that, uh, that evil spirit speak a word, even if it was the truth. You see that? And, uh, of course, you, you move forward and upward and onward that, and... Uh, these people that were around that gal were deceived into thinking that woman had something that was holy and righteous. Right there. You see it, Acts 16. All the people around that area in Philippi thought that that gal was, a, if I could say it like this, a good Christian gal. She's full of the devil. And what happens? Paul does the right thing. Now listen, he was an apostle and he had the signs and wonders there that was given to the Jews for the Jewish people. Don't you go trying to cast out... Demons, you'd be like that one fellow. You get seven more jump on you, worse than you ever thought, amen? But uh, Paul rebukes that spirit, and uh, what happens? The whole town goes against Paul and Silas. You know, those mean preachers. They just prejudice against the women. They just they don't like anyone having the spotlight and all that baloney. And uh, Paul pointed out that it wasn't holy and righteous, and then the mean old preachers, they were thrown in jail, and they were beaten. They got hammered. <laughs> For what? Doing right. And of course, you know the rest of the story there in Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer and his family ends up getting saved of the whole thing. But back in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 2 again. Paul says, we were bold in our God. Bold in our God. So Paul, mark it down, his boldness was in God. Now it's a difference. Difference between what? He wasn't bold, he wasn't boisterous, or he wasn't obnoxious in his flesh. You ever met Christians that way? <laughs> oh, they're bold. I mean, they're so bold, they could charge hell with a skirt. They're just obnoxious is what they are. They got a little bit of Bible knowledge. You're doing all right tonight. I'm having a good time even if you're not, amen. But uh, they're bold in their flesh, you know what I mean? They, they got just enough Bible, and every time they meet someone, they got to argue with them about it. Have you ever met someone like that? I met him by the handful. I probably was that fellow for a number of years there. But Paul was bold in God. Bold, you got to remember that. And uh, he says here that they were just as bold to the Thessalonians as they were to those in Philippi. You ever stop and think about it? Does it doesn't matter where you're at, Christian, uh, during the battle. It matters where you end up at the end of the battle. Amen? Uh, where will you be when this thing ends up? 
Will you be slain? Will you be killed in battle? Will you be captured by the enemy? Isn't it interesting when the rapture takes place, how many Christians that the enemy has captured will be freed? Or will you, uh, will you be found having retreated, got upset, got mad, no one understands me, I didn't, I didn't, no one paid attention to me, get upset, get mad, you've got to go pout somewhere, so you retreat, you retreat. It was said uh, during, the, uh, during the Civil War that one, uh, that, you, know, you know, the standard bearer there, the flag and the trumpet guy, and they would sound off the, the whatever it is, the call, the charge, and, and uh, finally the general told the standard bearer, oh, sound the alarm for the retreat. And he looks at the general and goes, there is no alarm for the retreat. <laughs> That's it. There's no retreat in this war. You got to keep going. You got to keep moving forward. You don't go backwards. And it doesn't matter where you're at during the battle. It matters where you're at at the end of the battle. Will you be captured? Will you have been retreated? Or will you still be standing? Look, we all get discouraged uh, at time in the battle. We all get upset. We all have problems and difficulties. But Paul here, he was bold in his God. Paul stays bold, not obnoxious. I know he says in his epistle he was rude in speech. But Paul wasn't obnoxious, uh, but he was bold in his preaching, even though every time he preached, he didn't have anything but what the passage says. What's that? Much contention. Much contention. Uh, verse 2 says, We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. So you've got to remember this, Christian. Whenever Paul preached, there was much contention. And listen, if you're going to preach, you're going to preach the gospel, you're going to witness, you're going to minister for Jesus Christ the way the Lord would have you do it. And I'm not talking about being intentionally hard or being belligerent or bullheaded. I'm not talking about any of that stupidity and not being able to deal with people. But if you're going to preach it or minister it or witness for the cause of Jesus Christ, you are going to have problems. You're going to have them. And you're going to have contention. It'll be difficult for you. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. And that's the part of Christianity we've, we've got to learn to cross the threshold of difficulty and understand that you and I have been appointed to afflictions. You and I have been appointed to persecutions. And Paul said to Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier. So we know it's coming. And even me, I'm the same way. When difficulty comes, I'm like, oh, 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 what's going on? And the Lord's like, lighten up, buttercup. You'll be all right. You'll get through it, you know. First Peter chapter 4, look at verse 13. I mean, that how it goes. They'd be clipping along and enjoying serving Jesus, and you'd be on top of the world, and things would be going. You'd be paying some bills, and, you know, your marriage would be clicking along, and everyone's in love with one another and in harmony, harmony in the home, and all that other stuff, the fairy tales, right, you know, and all of a sudden the bottom just drops out, <laughs> you know. You come home, your house is flooded, you know. You're like, are you kidding me, right? What in the world did I do to deserve this? And the Lord's like, nothing. I just want to see how you respond, you know. And you come home, and there's, uh, you know, another bill you didn't expect, right? All right. Now look at 13, 1 Peter 4, 13. But rejoice <laughs> inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Oh, whatever. That when his glory shall be revealed, yeah, you're thinking about the glory, all right? You may be glad also with exceeding joy. 
Now this means that you've been through fiery trials back up in verse 12, two verses before. Now look down to 14. Then he says this, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. You live in your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not doing anything stupid. Praise the Lord. You're getting a little come your way. Uh, then the verse says that if you're doing it for the name of Christ, then the verse says this, The Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Look at verse 15. But, he's got a disclaimer here, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matter. In other words, isn't it interesting how uh, Brother Peter sticks in busybody with a thief and a murderer? Like, really? I mean, they really go together? And Peter's like, yes, they do. <laughs> and what you're going to find out, Christian, is that people get into trouble in the Christian life because they like sticking their nose in other people's business. Yeah. And people get in trouble in the Christian life because they like to traffic in other Christians' trash. Amen. And then they turn around and try to say, you know, I'm suffering for Jesus Christ. I'm like, no, you're suffering because you're an idiot. Amen. And you can't be doing that. And you're suffering because of your own stupidity, your own obnoxiousness, or because you're doing something other than the cause of Christ. And then you end up suffering in the flesh for it. So. But that's not how suffering came to Paul. Whatever he preached, it was with much contention. And that's a, a true New Testament minister. I'm not saying every sermon he preached uh, that everyone's going to be against you. But I've even noticed it among Bible-believing preachers, and I've tried, and I'm trying to learn from it, some Bible-believing preachers, if you notice, when they preach, they preach like there's an imaginary war going on. And they'll get up there, and uh, they're good preachers, and they're doctrinally straight, and they're gun barrel straight, and they can deliver the gospel dynamite. And they'll get up there and go, yeah, you know, you know, like the old preacher. I'll be like, and I know some of you are not going to like this. I'm like, really? We got to go there? Look, there's enough division with truth to begin with. But how, what, what are you, the genie in the bottle? You know that X, Y, and Z is not going to like your preaching. Or maybe you just got an inferiority complex preacher and you just need to get up and preach and let the Lord deal with it. I know some of you are not going to like what I preach today. Well, that's a real great way to start a message, isn't it? But uh, that's not how Paul suffered. Paul suffered much contention because he preached it the way God wanted him to preach it. But if you're suffering because of your own stupidity or your own obnoxiousness, well, that's just another thing. The suffering came to Paul because of his willingness to do things boldly for the cause of Christ. And notice again, he says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, I'm sorry, 2, 2, bold in our God. And you've got to remember that, uh, not bold in his flesh, bold in the Lord. Look at verse 3. He's going to, over the next uh, oh, uh, 10 verses, Paul is going to tell you how he preaches. And since Paul's our pattern, this is how we should preach. Our pattern is found of preaching in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 all the way to verse 13. He says, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. So Paul's fixing to tell you his way of preaching, and it's extremely important that we note these things. And it's extremely important, like I said, because in 1 Timothy 1.16, Paul is our pattern. I couldn't say that enough times. You need to understand 1 Timothy 1.16. Acclimate yourself with that reference. Paul is our pattern. He's our pattern in preaching. He's our pattern in, in many, many things, all right? We need to follow Pauline patterns of doing things. But verse 3 says, for our exhortation, that's his preaching, 
was not of deceit. So that just simply means Paul uh, didn't do anything that was double-tongued. He wasn't speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He was a straight shooter. And Paul didn't do anything that was tricky. He was straight. Uh, Paul didn't do anything that made it look like it was something that it wasn't. Here's the thing you got to remember. When it comes to preaching, God blesses righteousness. God doesn't bless gimmicks. you got to remember that. Uh, you'll hear people on the television set today or whatever program it is, uh, these deceitful, charismatic preachers, uh, they'll get up there and they'll say, God will heal you if you come to this particular service. Or God will do this if you do that. You know what that is? That's a deceitfulness. You know what that is? That's a fellow trying to get a crowd. He's trying to get a, a hearing. He's trying to get uh, people to follow him. He's trying to get an offering. And Paul wasn't deceitful with anything he did. Then he says in verse 3, nor of uncleanness. And now one of the reasons Paul had contention. Now this all plays into why there's contention wherever Paul went with his preaching. Number one, because he wasn't deceitful. He didn't lie to them. He didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. Amen. And uh, he didn't make it something that it wasn't. Second of all, he, he told them that it was not of uncleanness. In other words, Paul didn't tell them, hey, if you get saved, you can go ahead and keep living the way you've been living. Wink, wink. We just passed the plate. That wasn't Paul. Uh, what Basically, Paul told the, them once they got saved, he said, look, it's time to fly straight. He wasn't of uncleanness. He wasn't double-tongued. He wasn't tricky. He didn't say, hey, look, you know, once you get saved, it don't matter how you live. It was the other way around. And there's a lot of deceitful type of preaching today where they give you half-truths, half-truths. And that's what keeps the listener there. And it's a psychological approach and it's an oratorical approach that's filled with half-truths. And the more you study your Bible, the more you read your Bible, the more those red flags will begin to fly up when you hear preaching like that. And you'll go, I don't know everything he's saying, but that don't sound right. And he'll give you a bunch of half-truths. That's like the devil in the garden. Amen? And verse 3 says, For our exhortation was not of deceit nor of uncleanness. And here's a third thing. Nor in guile. What's guile? That's trickery. That's all guile is. Guile is one of those things like a half-truth. And guile is, uh, is what the devil used in the garden. You know, he said to Eve, he said, if you eat the fruit, uh, ye shall not surely die. It's a half-truth. Because she didn't die physically, did she? But she dropped dead spiritually. Just like that. You know, the devil gave her a half-truth. And she bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. And, uh, and they did die spiritually. There's a lot of preaching going on today. And I'm not encouraging you to go out there and listen to any of this tomfoolery. But... If you want a good comic relief, you can listen to TBN or TCT when they get them charismaniacs on there. Man, I give you a good belly laugh. Now, some people call me a heretic for saying that, but I'm telling you what, that stuff is some of the funniest things. Make you love your local church and make you thankful that you got a preacher and make you thankful that you got people that love the King James Bible. That stuff's good for a good laugh is all that is. But a lot of preaching going on today, uh, they'll preach except Jesus Christ. You'll hear them say that. And, you know, the love of God, the love of Christ, the glory of God, the graciousness of God, the mercy of God, the long-suffering of God. But they preach nothing about living right. Nothing about doing right. And the one fellow in particular, I won't name him because I don't even want to give that goofball credibility. At the end of every service, like, would you like to invite Christ into your life? And they all pray a prayer of salvation after every single time he gets up there and tickles everyone's ears and tell them what a wonderful, you can be your best person now, so forth and so on. What is that? Trickery, guile, full of deceit, and it's a half-truth. 
And these preachers uh, going on even today, they'll, they'll tell you if you get saved, your problems are over. Let me tell you what. If you get saved, your eternity problem will be over. But you get a whole new list of problems, don't you? You're like, I never had these problems before. You realize before you got saved, you were never at odds with yourself. You never had that inner conflict. <laughs> you know, like, you know, the new man and the old man constantly bickering back and forth. You're a bona fide nutcase if you're saved. You are. You're just a, you're just a schizophrenic is all you are. And Paul said, look, I didn't do it like that. Uh, when I preached to you, I didn't do anything with guile. I didn't do anything with trickery. He's like, I didn't draw you in uh, by swallowing goldfish. I didn't draw any of you in by pony rides, carnival rides, and a free hot dog if you jumped on the bus. Amen. Uh, that's getting a little closer to the cotton where we live and came up in the 80s, uh, whoever came up in the 80s. And look, anyone pastoring a church should never, ever trick the people uh, into to coming to church to give them the gospel. You should never trick them. Amen. Uh, the reason you, that, that they're going to come to church should be for hearing the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There should never be a, a, a hidden motive or a meeting, you know. Well, let's get them in. Let's, uh, you know, let's, let's give them uh, Frisbees if they come today. So then they come for Frisbee Sunday. Well, then next week it's ice cream Sunday. Well, then you got to keep changing the flavor of the week. Well, then it's, you know, I don't know. One feller that was at, uh, down in Florida, uh, was uh, they had to do something every week that was just kind of over the top, and they brought a live elephant. <laughs> they brought, I'm serious. They brought a live elephant. And you know what the Lord thought about that thing? Because as the elephant was coming up and down the aisle, the elephant relieved himself right in the middle of the church. That's what the Lord thought about that. Can you imagine that? And clean up on all five there, you know. <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> but you get people into church, it should be. <laughs> but you get people to come to church, it should be, hey, let's go to church. Why? Because we're going to hear some preaching. Preaching. What is preaching? This is about Jesus Christ. Okay. And if they come, great. But you didn't come like, oh, we have, we have the greatest uh, uh, congregational sing, which we do have great congregational sing, but that's not why you invite them. Now, they can enjoy it if they want, but you don't tell them once they're saved, all their problems is over. But like I said, as far as hell's concerned, yeah, your problem with that's over. But how about this? You might have a rough life once you get saved. I can tell you story after story right now of Christians who got saved late in life, and they're thankful they're saved. But as soon as they got saved, a chain of events began to take place, and they're not even the same people anymore. I knew some friends over there in West Branch, and they, they trusted Christ later in life, and within months, uh, they both got in, a they got in a motorcycle accident. One fellow was a paraplegic the rest of his life, and she went out into eternity a few years back, took her own life. See what I mean? You can't sit there and tell people, saved on the way to heaven. You can't tell people that, uh, you know, all your problems are over. You know, all you got to do is get saved. And, but we are to follow the Pauline pattern of doing things. And you got to remember this. God blesses righteousness. God does not bless gimmicks. And that's why if you get a little bit bored out of your mind from time to time, I'll apologize in advance, but we're here to do the right thing. And it's through preaching and teaching. And that's the Pauline pattern. There's, there's, there's no other gimmicks. Now, God's given us liberty. We can have different ministries. We can have, do things for the young people. I'm thankful for those of you that help with the young people. Amen. And the different things that we have the liberty to do. But when it comes to church, the Pauline pattern is preaching and teaching. 
exalting Jesus Christ and preaching the kingdom of God. And uh, if here's the thing, and here's a tough thing to understand. If you're a preacher or if you're a, a servant of the Lord, if you don't have success by following Paul's pattern, that doesn't mean you throw the pattern out. And you know what's going on right now in 2022? They're throwing the pattern out. Why? Because they're not getting success. Well, well, what if the Lord doesn't want you to have success? What if you having success will ruin your Christian testimony? We don't think that far in advance, do we? We're always like, well, no, we need to get bigger, and we need to get better, and we need to get more developed financially. We need to, really? How about preaching and teaching and leave the results to the Lord? Now, that sounds like a cheap way out, but that's reality. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says you are to remain faithful. It does not say successful. You and I were never told to be successful, except by the workplace. That's it. And if you remain faithful, you know what? You'll receive the reward when you get up there. And I'm not making light because it'll be tough. It'll be tough. It'll be difficult for you to remain faithful and do the things that the Lord has told you to do and try to live right and try to help people out and try to be more concerned about others than yourself, especially, listen now, if the Lord never has you recognized over it down here. And listen, if a man is going to preach the way that Paul preached, Bible preaching is going to cause contention. And if you're not having contention, then you're probably not preaching and you're probably not living the way Paul told you through the Scriptures to live. And when I say contention, again, that's not from being mean, rude, or obnoxious or all that stuff. Look at verse 4 and we'll close here. But as we're allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. So let me say, Paul's just saying, look, the Lord considers me trustworthy. That's what Paul's saying. The Lord considers Paul trustworthy. And then he says, not as pleasing men. Look at Galatians 1.10. We're just, we're just about done here. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul was not a man pleaser. Now this could be one of the single most difficult things for some Christians to get their head wrapped around. Why? Because in most of our workplaces, we are instructed and taught to please everybody. <laughs> But if you've been around long enough, you cannot please everybody, ever. <laughs> you can't even please the one you love half the time. Uh, but Paul says, not as pleasing men. Look at Galatians 1.10. Important verse for you. He says, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. And so our number one goal and priority in this Christian life should always be to please God because you can never please man all the time. I think even President Lincoln said something, you can't please everyone all the time. You can't do it. So our single most important goal that lines up with Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 is we should be willing and seeking to please God because we were created for His pleasure. So He's the one that we should please. And we'll stop right there on verse number four. Pleasing God. All right. Why don't you stand? True story on that elephant. That was crazy, man. Preacher was telling that story. I said, you got to be kidding me. All right.
Hey, Brother Bean, can you pray us home? Man?